0: Well, it's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, We're in Matthew chapter 25 this morning, Matthew chapter 25. We've uh, been in this two chapters, I guess, if you will, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, for a couple of weeks, and this really continues our series on the parables of Jesus. This is the last parable within this section, um, and it's the parable of the talents, the parable of the talents. And as you remember, just in context, we've really been working all the way from Matthew 24, all the way over here to the last little bit of this. Um, And then the next text gets into the final judgment. And we've been looking at Jesus's second coming and when that might take place. And this right here, parable that we're going to look at today is telling us or really asking the question, are you ready? for Christ's return. Are you ready for his return? And so with that in mind, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will dive into this text. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather as your church, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word, to to look at it, um, and to learn from it, Lord. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know that many of you have kids. Some of you have kids that are still at home. Some of you have kids that have moved out of the house, uh, wherever you're at in life. Most all of you have experienced that daily task of, of getting your children ready for school. We have been at it for several years now and we have our system down. We get our kids up at 6.40 a.m. in the morning. Uh, We lay their clothes out. We tell them to get dressed. While they're doing that, we go in and we make their breakfast and then we get their bag ready and we get everything ready for the day. They come in, they eat, then they brush their teeth. We do their hair and we're out the door by 7.10 every single day. That is our target time to get them to school on time. every day. Five days a week, nine months out of the year, we go through that same routine—a routine that helps our kids get ready for a day of learning that is ahead of them. And that time in the morning, and even the time the night before them getting to bed early enough, getting enough rest, and and all of that is important so that they can do their best, so that they can take advantage of the opportunity that has been afforded all of us here in the United States. We might not think of it like that, but. But really, when you look at the the global picture, school is a privilege. It is a privilege that we get to go to school. It is an opportunity that many people around the world do not have. They don't have the opportunity to go to school. And knowing that it is a privilege, we should do all that we can to take advantage of that, to use it, to learn so that we can be productive members of society, and just like school is a privilege, an opportunity we should take seriously being a part of the kingdom is a privilege as well. Amen. Not everyone in the world can say that they are a part of the kingdom of God. Many are lost. Many are living worldly lives. Many uh, are apart from the kingdom. But those of us who call ourselves Christians, we live in a privileged position. We, we live in the kingdom. We are actually kingdom citizens. And we should take advantage of our heavenly citizenship making the most of the opportunities making the most of the privileges that God has afforded us now that God has provided and that's what what we should do but but sadly many people in the church don't do that the, the consistent statistic that i see over and over again is that 20% of the people do 80% of the work when it comes to serving in the church. Now, having been a pastor for over a decade, I would say that that statistic is, is pretty accurate, right? 20% of the people usually do 80% of the work in the church. And that's a problem because it means that 20% of the church members are the ones who are employing their God-given gifts, who are employing the, the privileges and the opportunity that they have as kingdom citizens, and 80% of people are not. But it's not supposed to be like that. Now, how, how do we know that? Well, today's parable tells us. Today's parable also reveals what happens if we don't use the opportunities that God provides. And so as we begin, we learn that God provides kingdom citizens opportunities to work for the kingdom. Look at verse 14 there. he says, For it, and he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And so through this parable, Jesus reveals what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And we're going to get into the specifics of what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like in a moment here. But the first thing we need to know is that the kingdom of heaven represents current reality and current expectations. And I stress the current reality, current expectations of the kingdom of heaven because sometimes we have a tendency to push some of the Bible's teaching to the future. And I think the kingdom of heaven is one of those things. We think, well, the kingdom of heaven is supposed to come when Jesus returns, Um, and so the kingdom of heaven, what all Jesus has been talking about, these are future realities, these are not things that impact us today, but but these are things that actually impact us today. You see, we live in what is called the already, but not yet. So it's already in the sense that Jesus is reigning and ruling on his throne right now as the king over the kingdom of heaven, and we are kingdom citizens right now. We live in this world, but we, we are sojourners in this world as First Peter talks about. <clears throat> and it's not yet in the sense that Christ has not yet returned and consummated the kingdom where he has brought the kingdom, he has restored everything, but we live as kingdom citizens right now. And so that means that as kingdom citizens, all of these things that Jesus has been talking about, and particularly the things that he's going to talk about today, are things that we should take advantage of. These are privileges and opportunities that we have as kingdom citizens, and we should employ those opportunities now in this already not yet period. And Jesus begins this parable by comparing the kingdom of heaven to a man who entrusts his servants with his own property. And he goes on this long journey. If you notice, there's there's all these parables here at the end here, where where somebody gets entrusted with something, and then the the, the master goes on this long journey, and then eventually the master returns, and you kind of get a picture of what is taking place here. It's Jesus who is the master who is you know given us opportunities. He goes on this long journey off to heaven to sit on his throne where he's reigning and ruling, and at some point he is going to. And that's exactly what this parable pictures for us. And before this master in the parable leaves, he provides the people who are his servants with a large sum of money. So look at verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. And so we're told one servant gets five talents, another servant he gets two talents, another servant gets one talent. And we don't use talents today, um, but as you read through the commentaries, as you look through different things, I think it's safe to say that a talent equals roughly a million dollars. And so imagine you work for this corporation, you know the owner really well, he calls you into his office before he is about to go on this long sabbatical, and he hands you a briefcase full of money, like $5 million worth of money. And he says, be successful. Do with it what you please. I'll be back in like six months to a year. I'm not really sure, but when we come back, let's see what you have done with that money. I mean, imagine that happening to you. Imagine that. I mean, it would be absolutely unbelievable. Well, it's not exactly the same. I mean, there's, there's no briefcase. There's no... Uh, company owner who's going on this sabbatical for six months to a year. Essentially, that's what's happening here in Jesus's parable. Several servants are given an an extremely large sum of money, and the master leaves for an undetermined amount of time, and he doesn't provide them with much direction at all as to what they are supposed to do with this sum of money. And as we see in the parable, um, what, what happens is that each are given opportunities to work for the kingdom. And each are given opportunities to work for the kingdom according to their own abilities. And we see that there in the middle of verse 15. He says, to each according to his ability. Now, now reading that, you might be tempted to think, well, man, Jesus is, is kind of unfair here. Uh, Why couldn't he just give everyone, you know, five talents? Why did he section that out and and give just one five and one two and one one? Um, And why is he using this abilities aspect, giving it according to our abilities? Well, this is the way that the master has determined to give the gifts. And this is the way that Jesus has determined to give these gifts and opportunities to us as well. And, and as our master, Jesus has the right to distribute those gifts. Jesus has the right to distribute those opportunities and privileges in the way that He sees fit. And He's determined to do this according to our individual abilities, <clears throat> the individual abilities that Jesus has actually given us. And so the idea that Jesus is both the giver of our abilities and the gifts we possess, as well as the one who provides us with the opportunity to use those gifts and ability is an important concept, I think, for us to wrap our, our minds around. And I think it's an important concept because it kills frustration and envy on the one hand. And on the other hand, I believe that it kills pride. So let's, let's think about that for a moment. Think about the frustration and envy. You know, sometimes we embark on a task and we soon realize, man, we're, we're not doing very well at this task. Or, or we look at somebody else who's embarking on the same task, and we see that, that they are being successful. They are, they, are, they are accomplishing much. And that might lead to frustration, on the one hand. It might also lead to envy, right? You, you want what this other person has. You want to be able to be successful like that other person has. You guys are doing the same exact thing. You Yours is not working out, but this other person's is working out. And so that might lead to frustration or envy envy. But knowing that God has gifted us in certain ways, that that he is the one who gives you the opportunities to use and to develop those gifts that he has given should help kill both frustration and envy. You see, as long as you are giving it to your all, as long as you are taking the opportunities that God provides, you can rest in and you should rest in the fact that you are in the place that God wants you to be at that moment and you are doing exactly what God has designed for you to do and purpose for you to do for his kingdom. You see, oftentimes we want to make it all about us. And we say, man, we, we've got to be successful. We have to accomplish all of these different things instead of saying, what am I accomplishing for the kingdom? How am I adding to the kingdom? How is God using me to do that? How is God using everyone to do that? And I think that's an important concept that we have to wrap our minds around you see as long as we remember that, that we are working towards building God's kingdom with the gifts that, that he has given us and the, utilizing the opportunities and privileges that he has afforded us then there can be a certain degree of satisfaction that is there now that doesn't mean that that we should remain stagnant right that doesn't mean that we're just happy with status quo. But it means that we should not be frustrated. It it means that we shouldn't envy someone else and and what they are able to accomplish for the kingdom. We should also seek to progress as much as we can through prayer and through uh, discipleship and through a number of different ways. Um, But again, we should be satisfied with where the Lord has us. Going to the whole other side of things, we talk about pride for a second. You know, those who have success may be tempted towards pride, right? It's, man, I mean, I've accomplished all of this. Look at all the things that I've done. Look at all the things that I've built. And we can typically get in, we, we, can, we can sometimes get into that idea to say, I. Look at all the things that I have done. And so on the one hand, it's look at all the things I haven't done. And on the other hand, it's look at all the things I have done. But if we remember that it is God who provides us with the opportunities, God who provides us with the privileges, it's God who gives us those abilities, we shouldn't say, look at what I have done. Instead, we should say, look at what God has done through me. look Look at how the Lord is utilizing me as his instrument, as his tool to accomplish much for the kingdom. Praise God for the work that he is doing. And so on the one hand, understanding this should help us kill frustration and envy, as well as it should help us kill pride. And we should continue to utilize the gifts that God has given us to advance the kingdom. And that's exactly what Jesus continues to tell us here in our parable. If we look at verses 16 through 18. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And so here are the actions of these three guys, and we're going to look at them, we're going to look at them one at a time. We first see that the servant who has five talents, right? He went, he invested this money and some sort of commercial activity. We're not told exactly what he did, but, but he was pretty successful. He made five talents more and the same with the two-talent guy. He went and invested his money, and he made two talents more. But the last guy who had one talent didn't put his money to work. Instead, this guy took that talent, and he went, and he dug a hole in a field somewhere because holes were a lot safer than, than banks back then. And he dug a hole in a field somewhere, and he put that money in the field, and he covered it over. He thought, man, this is much Smarter for me to do this because I don't want to lose this talent that I have. Now, eventually the master returns and, and he's ready to settle back up. We see that in verse 19. And, and each of his servants, they come to him in turn. And since the master's response to the first two servants are the same, we're going to look at those just kind of as a group. So look at verses 20 to 23. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more saying, Master, You delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And so the first two servants, they went out, they doubled their money, they received their master's praise for their hard work, for their diligence, for their character. But, but praise isn't all they received, is it? But they also received more responsibility. We are told that that each of them are set over much. And that idea that, that they are both set over much is important because it means that our reward for serving God faithfully isn't release from service, but our reward for serving God faithfully is greater responsibility. That tells us that there should never come a time in our life where we think that we have done enough for God and that we're just going to sit on the sidelines. We don't, need to ha- we don't have to do anything. No, we're to remain in the game. Now, to be sure that the way that, that we remain um, and the way that we continue to work for the kingdom uh, is going to look different in different phases of life, right? It's going to be different when you're a young adult and you're a median age adult, when you are a, an older adult. It's going to look different different. But that still doesn't mean that God doesn't give us, give us opportunities in which we can serve Him in the different phases of our life. We should always be looking and saying, how is God able to use me now in the phase of life that I am in? How can I be effective for the Lord? What opportunities is God bringing my way in order for me to serve Him and advance His kingdom? To be sure, it's going to look different. But there should never come a time in our life when we say, you know what, I'm retired from serving the kingdom, and I'm just going to to let time pass by until I'm out of this world. We should always be asking ourselves, what opportunity is the Lord bringing in my way so that I can serve the kingdom? And why is that? Why should we continue to work for the kingdom? Why can't we retire? Well, you should continue to work for the kingdom because you are a part of the kingdom. Think about it like this. you know, Most likely you're not going to walk into one of the grocery stores here in the area and see me stocking the shelves next week. I'm sure that they would be happy for me to do that or McDonald's would be happy for me to come down there and flip some burgers for them. Um, because sometimes they, they don't have enough people to work, especially with the pandemic in which we find ourselves. And, and with the, all of the other stuff that's happened, um, people are not going to work and, peop- and businesses are struggling to find people to work for them. Most likely, I'm not going to do that. And why is that? Well, it's because one of the grocery stores, McDonald's, you know, they don't, they don't employ me. And the same for you. You are not going to go to work at a company, at a place, even though you know that it would be immensely helpful maybe for you to go to work there. You're not going to do it for free. You're not going to do it because you are not a part of that place, of that company. And as Christians, we are a part of the kingdom of God. And as Christians, we should recognize we're a part of the kingdom of God, and we should be willing to work for the kingdom of God. And so if you say that you're a part of the kingdom, yet you don't employ your God-given gifts to further the kingdom, then you have to ask yourself, well, am I really a part of the kingdom? And if you're sure that you're a part of the kingdom, yet you aren't using your God-given gifts for the kingdom, know that you're not operating in the way that Jesus expects for you to operate. And that's because God expects us to use the opportunities given to us to further the kingdom. And the example of the servants, I believe, shows us that. That's what God wants us to do. The first two show us that in a positive way, right? As they worked for the kingdom, they made much for the kingdom. And the, the, sec, the last servant shows us that in a negative way. Now, we've already looked at the first two servants, and so let's look at the last two servants, uh, t- excuse me, the last servant for a moment. And as we do, we see that those who don't use the opportunities God provides aren't disciples and are gonna face God's wrath. Now I know that seems harsh. I know that seems black and white, but, but let's look at what, let's look at what the text says. Let's Look at the point that Jesus is trying to drive home to us here. Verse 24 and 25. He says, he also, who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid I went and hid your talent in the ground here. You have what is yours. Now, instead of using this master's talent, what does this guy do? Well, he says, hey, man, he's, he's a tyrant. He's going to get after me. If I, don't, if I don't at least provide him back what he gave me, if I lose some of that, man, I'm going to be in big trouble. And I, I, I care about my life. I care about my well-being. I'm hiding it in the ground. And when this guy comes back and asks for it, I'm just going to give it right back to him. And that's exactly what he does. But look at how his master responds. He's not, he's not very happy with him verse 26 and 27 but his master answered him and said you wicked and slothful servant you knew that i reap where i have not sown and gather where i scattered no seed then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming i should have received what was mine with interest and so he's like look i know that putting it in the hole is the easy thing to do but I mean you could have at least invest it with the bankers. I mean if you're not going to double my money like the other guys did, you could have at least earned me some interest and you did not even do that. And he doesn't praise him. Right? Instead of praising him, what is what does he do? He says you are slothful and you are wicked. And that should have at least he should have at least invested the money, but he didn't do it that way, right? And so what is what is the result? Look at 28 through 30. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, when you look at that, you've got to say, well, that is just completely, you know, the punishment is disproportionate to what has happened I mean, This guy is, is getting cast into, into hell, essentially, for not doubling this master's money. Very disproportionate. So we have to ask, well, well, okay, now the parable is shifting. And the parable is shifting to focus on us. And what is Jesus trying to teach us here? Well, the disproportionate Punishment that we see here should clue us into the fact that Jesus has shifted gears. Jesus is now talking to us, and in doing so, he's telling us that he expects his servants to work for the kingdom. But he's also telling us that those who don't work for the kingdom show that they are not a part of the kingdom. And you know what happens to those who aren't a part of the kingdom? Well, they have nothing but punishment to look forward to when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom. Instead of existing inside of the kingdom with with joy, they're cast out. I know that's tough teaching, but Jesus is really trying to drive home the point here that, that his disciples don't just sit on the sidelines. His disciples don't retire at all. His disciples are always working for the kingdom. They're working to advance the kingdom. And the reason that they're working to advance the kingdom is because they're actually a part of the kingdom and they want to see the kingdom being advanced. They love the kingdom. They want other people to experience the kingdom. They want to see the kingdom grow and they want to see the king glorified and worshiped. And so when you look at your life, you have to ask, and I think this is where Jesus' parable is pressing us, where are we at? You, know, are, you are you sitting on the sidelines? Are you out of the stadium completely just kind of grilling out with your friends somewhere? Or are you in the game? Are you taking risks? Are you laboring to further the kingdom of God? Where are you at? God expects each and every single one of us to use the gifts, to use the opportunities that, that he has provided us, not to further our own interests, but to further the interest of the kingdom. And those who do that, those who are willing to give up their own interest to further the interests of the kingdom, show that they are a part of the kingdom. They show that they are in the kingdom. And those who don't, well, they show that they're not a part of the kingdom. Now, say after hearing that and after answering that question, you find yourself, well, I'm really not taking advantage of the opportunities and the privilege that I have as being a part of the kingdom. I recognize that. I repent of that. What can I do to actually work for the kingdom, to be about the business that Jesus wants me to be about? So let's talk about that for a moment. What can you do to use the opportunities that God provides? Because remember, God provides each and every single one of us opportunities. It's not a lack of opportunity, it's not a lack of, of gifting. If you're a kingdom citizen, you have those opportunities, you have those giftings. So let me just give you three things. First, you have to have a relationship with Jesus, right? If you're going to be a part of the kingdom, Well, you have to get into the kingdom and the way that you enter into the kingdom is through Jesus. You don't enter into the kingdom just because you say, I'm a part of the kingdom. You don't enter into the kingdom through your works. You don't enter into the kingdom through your church attendance. You don't enter into the kingdom because your family is a part of the kingdom. You enter into the kingdom through a personal relationship with Jesus by believing that Jesus is your Lord and is your savior. Then you're in the kingdom. You can call yourself a kingdom citizen and God is gonna give you those opportunities to work for his kingdom, So that's the first step. Right. You have to be a part of the kingdom, and that is through Jesus, the relationship with Him. After you have a relationship with Jesus, well you've got to trust? you got to trust God. Working for the kingdom involves risk and cost. It involves emotional and, and physical and, and monetary costs. and these costs may be what's holding you back. But these costs are not costs that should hold you back. God, if you think about, is the all-sovereign, all-powerful God of the universe. He is in control of, of everything. He is the one who provides us with everything. Every single thing that we have, we have because God has given that to us. We may go out and we may work hard and and we may have relationships and all of those things, but God has given the intellect that we have. God has given us the health that we have. God has given us the relationships that we have. God has placed us where he wants us to be. And so we have to trust that God will continue to provide for us even if we work for the kingdom and that provides us with some sort of cost in this world. Because God is the one who is providing for us Now And so we must trust God. And along with having a relationship with Jesus, along with trusting God, you must also care about and love others. You see, when we don't use our gifts to serve others, when we don't take advantage of the opportunities and the privileges that we have, what we are saying is that we don't love others enough. We love self more than others. We love comfort more than others. We love our preferences more than others. But here's the thing. Christianity isn't a religion that is focused on self. At the very heart of the Christian message is a Savior who has come, who left the comfort of sitting on His throne in heaven, being the King of the universe, came to earth and lived amongst all of us who are absolutely, completely sinful and and felt the effects of sin on Himself as people took Him to the cross. And not only did, they, did he feel the effects of the sinful world as, as people took him and placed him on a cross and nailed his hands and feet to that, and not to mention all the other things that happened prior to that, but, but he took on the very wrath of God, the very wrath of God that we deserve. He took that on himself so that we might have the opportunity to become kingdom citizens. And so at the very heart of Christianity, at the very heart of the Christian message, is a God who gives of Himself. And that must be us as well. We must care about, we must love others enough to, to be self-sacrificial and to give of ourselves to others. And as those who are kingdom citizens, we must serve others. We should seek to further the kingdom. We should seek to use the opportunities that God provides us it's a privilege to be a part of Jesus' kingdom we must recognize our privileged position and the opportunities that god gives us if we do well i believe that we show that we are ready for the kingdom When, when the king comes back we are ready for his return he is going to provide us with further opportunity in his kingdom if we're not using those opportunities well then we show that that we're not ready for the king to return And that we very likely could be among those who are going to face judgment. And so where are you at this morning? Are you ready for Jesus' return? Does your life prove that you are a part of the kingdom because you are working for the kingdom? If you find that you're ready, well, today is is a day of celebration. You know, we're going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us here by partaking of the Lord's Supper. And so if you... If you have your, your cup, your prepackaged elements here, I'd encourage you to get those out. Um, and as Jesus left, or before he left uh, his hev- heavenly abode, Jesus gathered with his disciples. And Jesus instituted what has become known as the Lord's Supper. We may call it communion. And this is an opportunity for us as a church to to celebrate all of what Jesus has done. It's an opportunity for us as a church to remember all of what Jesus has done for us and how he has allowed us to be a part of the kingdom. And this is a, a memorial meal. I mean, it's meant to remind us of Jesus' sacrifice. It's meant to remind us that we are, in fact, kingdom citizens. And it should motivate us to be a part of the kingdom it should motivate us to to work for the kingdom as we as we look at these elements and as we take those this morning and so the the bread this is what represents jesus's body it's jesus's body that is being broken for us so that we might have entrance into the kingdom and knowing that knowing that Jesus has given up himself, knowing that he has sacrificed himself, it should motivate us to work for the kingdom. And so let's, let's take this bread now. And that same night, Jesus, he also took the cup. And the cup was filled with, with wine the night he instituted the Lord's Supper. And he said, you know, this cup, it... It represents my blood. It represents the blood that is going to institute this new covenant between you and God. This new covenant that is going to come through me and me alone. And knowing that Jesus came and Jesus shed his blood for us so that we might enter into a new covenant with the Lord. One that that is founded on Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. One that provides us with entrance into the kingdom. One that, that, can, that entrance cannot be taken away because Jesus' blood has been shed on our behalf. Should again motivate us to call other people and to use the opportunities that God has given us as kingdom citizens to work for the kingdom. And so let's remember that as we partake of this cup now. Well, I'm going to pray. And then the worship team is going to come up, and and we're going to take some time and uh, respond to this message. We're going to respond by remembering all of what Jesus has done for us. We're going to respond by praying that the Lord would use us. And if this morning, if you want to respond by professing Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, you you've seen a, a you've heard the gospel, you've seen a picture of the gospel through the Lord's Supper this morning. If you'd like to respond by professing Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. I'll be down here in the front, and you can do that publicly this morning. If you need prayer, I'll be here as well, or you can feel free to come and and pray up here. But let me pray for us. The worship team will come, and we're going to respond to this message. Lord, we thank you for this day and this opportunity that we've had to gather together as a church. We thank you for the opportunity that we have had to, to partake of the supper that you have instituted, Lord as a reminder, a visual reminder, representation of all of what you have done for us in the gospel. How your body has been broken on our behalf, how your blood has been shed, how you have have made a, a way for us to be a part of the kingdom for all of eternity. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to take the opportunities that we have, the opportunities that you have given us, to use the gifts that you have given us, and the abilities that you have given us to work for the kingdom, to expand the kingdom. God, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.